Today, I'm going to interview Dr. Michael Humer, and we're going to talk about the right to immigrate. All right, Michael, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, so I'm Michael Humer. I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of Colorado in Boulder, where uh, I've been for like uh, 24 years or something. Uh, I've written um, about 10 books and around 80 academic articles in ethics, epistemology, political philosophy, and um, the occasional metaphysics. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so you wrote an article arguing in favor of the right to immigrate. Uh, I'm really interested in this topic. My, my sister is actually an immigration attorney. So I, I want to hear more about it. Well, what, what's the core of the argument? Oh, um, I mean, it, so the underlying right is a right to be free from harmful coercion. Immigration restrictions are harmful and coercive. So on the face of it, they violate um, they violate a right. Okay, so, um, you know, why I think that there's a right to be free from harmful coercion? Uh, well, it's just based on intuitions, you know, about cases where somebody uh, harmfully coerces another person. Okay, and uh, you know, I put it that way as harmful coercion because, um, you know, I'm not I'm not considering paternalism, paternalistic coercion, which might might be beneficial to the subject, and also I'm not considering non-coercive ways of harming someone. So, like, if you uh, compete with someone in business and that um, harms them by taking away their business because you're better, <laughs> you're better at the business. So that's not a rights violation, even prima facie. Uh, but that's not coercive, okay? But what is a prima facie rights violation is using force against another person in a way that harms them. Immigration restrictions do that. Um, they're not voluntary. They're definitely coercive. So we hire armed guards to stop people from coming in or to forcibly remove people from the country. Um, and it's harmful because, um, you know, obviously sets back their interests, right? So, you know, somebody kidnapped you and then forced you to live in Mexico, for the rest of your life would that person be harming you like obviously yes right. so that's the same harm that the immigrants are experiencing okay so i like this distinction that you're making right so you split it up into two parts there's the coercion part and then there's the harm part right and it's this combination of the two together that make it so that it's wrong right that's right yeah uh-huh okay so it sounds like a libertarian argument to me. I've heard libertarians like the uh, like the Cato Institute make arguments like that. They're they're pretty pro immigration. You know, is this a libertarian premise? Well, uh, I mean, certainly libertarians agree with this, but you know, it would be it would be hard for almost anyone to say no. There's no right not to be harmfully coerced, right? Like, oh no, it's fine to just go around hurting people using physical force against them, uh, you know, just for the heck of it, right? Very few people think that. Um, you know, I give. I gave a hypothetical example of a person who's, there's a person who's starving named Marvin. So it's starving Marvin. And uh, he's trying to get to a marketplace to buy some food. And then this other person named Sam just forcibly stops him from getting to the marketplace. Okay. And, um, you know, just, just because he doesn't like the looks of Marvin or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, he would have, would have harmed Marvin. He would have coerced him and he would have violated his rights. And this isn't a particularly libertarian thing. Like, I mean, I think, you know, even Democrats and Republicans would, most of them would see that Sam had done something wrong, that he violated Marvin's rights, right? If Marvin starves as a result, then he killed Marvin, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So what is the the strongest pushback then against this argument? It, like uh, in, in your experience, what do you think it, it's the strongest argument against it? Because you say it's a prima facie, right? Right. So it could be outweighed by stronger considerations. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, like in my view, ethical considerations can conf can conflict with each other. You have to weigh different ethical considerations. 
So, and you know, like there are reasons that people offer for immigration restriction, and then you can just look at those reasons and see whether they're good enough to outweigh the consideration of, you know, you shouldn't harmfully coerce people. Um, now, it used to be that the main thing people said was, oh, immigrants are stealing American jobs. Yeah, so, you hear that uh, a lot. Yeah, but a bunch of Mexicans are coming over and like they're doing work and then American workers are not able to do that work. Okay, so um, uh, that's fairly lame. Um, more recently, the more common thing is that people say, um, well, the immigrants are going to come here and they're going to vote for the wrong policies. And then they're going to change the American political system so that it becomes more like the political system of the country they came from. And then everything else will collapse. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I, I do want to explore that one, but in regards to that first uh, worry, the, the concern that the immigrants are going to take American jobs. So the the rebuttal to that is that it's just simply false. Is that the answer? Oh, um, I mean, there's you know, most of the jobs taken by immigrants are not very desirable jobs. Okay. So like the country that sends the most immigrants to the U.S. is Mexico, you know, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, and you know, you know, most of them are not highly desirable jobs. So like you're not missing out that much. Um, the majority of Americans are benefited and almost all economists agree on this. However, there are a small number of um, American workers, like particularly low skill high school dropouts. Um, they would be the ones who might be competing with the immigrants for some of these jobs. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's some research suggesting that their wages are slightly lowered mm -hmm. due to immigration. Uh, while the rest of the country is benefited. Okay. But, you know, but here's the thing. Um, you know, if somebody is competing with you in the marketplace, just normal marketplace competition, can you use harmful coercion against them to stop them from competing with you? No. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like if you're interviewing for a job and then you find out that there's one other job candidate who's interviewing, can you like, you know, forcibly stop them from getting to their interview? So that you get the job. No, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Right? And so that shows that the need to protect jobs is uh, does not outweigh the right against harmful coercion. Yeah, I, I suspect the, a skeptic is going to point out the, I guess the the special obligations that a government has towards its citizens, right? So perhaps you you would make the argument that well, the American government ought to prioritize American citizens. So it's it shouldn't just be an open free market like that. Yeah, yeah, um, that's frequently said, and you know that might be true. But, you know, like first note that the majority of American citizens are benefited mm -hmm. and it's only this small minority of like, you know, low skilled high school dropout workers who are slightly harmed. Right. But anyway, you know, um, having special obligations towards someone does not negate your obligations towards other people. So like it doesn't make it permissible for you to do things to other people that would otherwise be a rights violation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like, you know, in my story about starving Marvin, you know, imagine that Sam says, well, like I had these nephews and nieces who are, um, uh, you know, buying food in the marketplace also. And I was afraid that if Marvin got there, he would slightly bid up the price of food. And because I have special obligations to my family, that means that I get to coercively interfere with Marvin and stop him from going there. So like, no, no, it doesn't mean that, right? Yeah. Having special obligations to someone means that um, you might have to sacrifice your own interests to benefit that person. It doesn't mean that you get to coercively sacrifice other people's interests to benefit the people that you have special obligations towards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, regarding the second objection that these immigrants are going to come over and then change the political system that will eventually lead to collapse, is this 
a co- is this a combination of political and economic changes that people are worried about? Like the socialists are going to come in and turn our country socialist or something? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, basically, oh, they're all going to vote Democrat and there are going to be too many Democrats, right? And then they're going to ruin the country, right? And they would they would ruin the country partly economically by interest, introducing terrible economic policies, right? Um, okay. And so, you know, immigrants do tend to vote Democrat. So, if you are a Democrat, you might think, well, this is good. <laughs> if you are a Republican, you might think, oh, that's bad. We have to stop them from coming and voting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like one thing is, well, um, you don't have to give them the right to vote. So, right. So, you know, there are many people in the country who are legal residents but can't vote mm-hmm. right? green card holders. Right. And so I'm not saying that you have to give everyone the right to vote. Oh, I see. I see. Interesting. So I, I, I think that it's, it's useful to make that type of distinction because I think when people imagine immigrants coming in, they imagine people coming in and possess equal status as an American citizen with all the, you know, the, the rights and responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like there are whatever, there are millions of green card holders and nobody considers this a problem. They're not unhappy. You know, they're not like out in the streets demanding the right to vote or anything. And, you know, like the right to vote and to serve on juries is pretty much the only thing that they don't have, which nobody wants. <laughs> nobody wants the right to serve on a jury. Okay? <laughs> Almost and, everybody wants to get out of it. It's hilarious. And people might slightly want the right to vote, but really not enough to pay a dollar for it. <laughs> like, if, you know, if, you, if somebody said, hey, I'll pay you a dollar if you don't vote, like I bet a lot of people are going to not vote. You know, half of the people um, who can vote don't do so, you know, if they're like, like nothing's stopping them, but they just don't want to because it's a waste of time anyway. So um, that is to say there are plenty of immigrants who would be happy to come and not vote. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So it's a win-win. So I, I guess I, I want to better understand what this economic concern is, because if the fear is that they're going to vote in poor economic policies... That's going to lead to economic collapse. What exact policies are they afraid of? Oh, like socialism, I guess. Oh, so just just socialism? Okay. I wonder if there is also a cultural element to it that makes people hesitant to accept so many immigrants and and reject this uh, right to immigrate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so, I mean, it it used to be kind of popular for people to say, oh, immigrants are going to change our culture in ways that we don't like. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of vague. So, you know, like, what do people mean? Um, Part of it might be the political thing again. Um, but, you know, another thing is like uh, some people, I guess, people in the um, Southwest get upset when there's like too much um, Spanish being spoken or something like this. Mm-hmm. Like, they want everything to be in English only, right? Yes. Not in English and Spanish, just English. <laughs> okay. But, you know, you might ask, well, do I have the right to harmfully coerce people in order to stop myself from um, accidentally hearing Spanish spoken around me. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you know, like what if you're in a neighborhood and like you just don't want any Spanish speaking people in your neighborhood. And mm-hmm. so then you just like forcibly push people out of the neighborhood. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, what if I just don't like Canadians, right? And there's like some whatever, some Canadians, I just push them out. Okay, so in order to not confuse this with the uh, immigration issue, let's just say somebody's trying to change the culture, but they're an American citizen. Mm-hmm. Can I use violence against them to stop them from changing the culture? Mm-hmm. No, no, I can't do that. <laughs> right. Again, I think from the skeptic's perspective, they may think that there's something different when you're talking about the state of a nation versus the indiv- individual actions of people, you know, so that there's certain actions that the state can legitimately make 
that uh, even though individuals can't make uh, those actions, and it has to deal with the fact that well, you know, that the government has special obligations. But but you may still say, well, does it have any special obligations to its citizens to keep the culture the way that it is? Yeah, I mean, so the culture has changed many times in many ways. It's changed drastically over the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. And nobody thought that the government could forcibly stop people from changing the culture. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I remember somebody said, it might have been like Noam Chomsky or something like that, but he said, America is a nation of immigrants that hates later immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's plausible. I I think that there is some, that's probably part of it. I don't know if you want to go so far as to say that it's xenophobia, but there's certainly, I think, some part of it that people don't like change. So let's say when it comes to something like Spanish being spoken, right, there's there's some comfort in, in the familiar, and they don't like the idea that they hear Spanish being spoken. They don't like that these different type of shops are being opened, right? They don't like that they're different looking people are going to the same school as their kids. I, I think there is that element to it as well. But I, I don't know if anybody has I can make a strong argument as to why that's a legitimate reason why people can't immigrate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like basically I think people have a bias against foreigners, which, you know, might even be genetically programmed or something, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there's a good reason for this, which is that um, in human history, you know, tribes were constantly fighting with each other. So in most of human history, the foreigners were a real physical danger. Mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty good chance that they would come and attack you and kill you. And also that you would go and attack them and kill them. Right? Well, that was, since that was constantly happening, you can understand why people are afraid of foreigners in general. But most people don't know why they're afraid of the foreigners. They just have negative emotions about foreigners. And then they sort of confabulate reasons why we have to stop immigration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that it, there is a legitimate worry? Like, like I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to steel man the opposition, right? Like there is something to be said about some sort of national identity that is uh, beneficial and would be under threat if too many immigrants came at the same time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean... Um, what what is the American national identity? I mean, like you could say this in Israel, because you know, like it because it has sort of a national identity as the Jewish state. So if a whole bunch of non-Jewish people come in, especially a bunch of Arabs, you know, like okay, we'll totally change it. But you know, what's the national identity for the United States? I don't know. It was kind of a nation of immigrants in the first place. So mm-hmm. um, you might think, well, I don't know, like the anti-immigration immigration people say, yeah, but those were different immigrants, right? It was, it was built by immigrants from Europe, and now there's a bunch of immigrants from Latin America, and they're totally different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're going to ruin the country. Um, I, I don't know, but I would I would just say that like people thought that in the past about the previous waves of immigrants. Right? Yeah. So I guess that it comes down to- The Irish or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it might come down to the question of how will people assimilate, yeah. right? Because I think maybe the fear is that it's there won't be actually one country- it's just going to be a collection of fractions. And when you have people who have different cultures and exercise, you know, different, you know, practices and religions and stuff like that, there's going to be conflict. And I think that might be the fear. Perhaps the conservatives are more, um, they're, they, they're not as optimistic when it comes to tolerance and diversity, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's fair. Um, I mean, you know, I note that we have had much higher immigration rates in the past. Just like as a percentage of the population, and um, you know, you might you might think that actually what built America was partly this amount of diversity, 
partly having a bunch of people with different backgrounds interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then, you know, you think, oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, we have succeeded in some sense in assimilating many previous waves of immigrants. We could have a higher rate. You might think, well, there's some limit. Okay. <laughs> this is like, you know, if the entire nation of China moved to the United States, then I guess they would reproduce China in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I don't, I don't think we're really looking at that level, right? So like, I don't. Yeah, that's not realistic. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, like there, there's one, there's one philosopher commenting on this who said that, you know, if if we open the borders, surely at least a billion people would come in. A billion people would come in, and surely this would be a, a very conservative estimate. <laughs> you know, you sort of wonder like how many people he thinks there are in the world, right? And you're like, how how are the how are a billion people going to get here? Like. Where, where are the boats going to come from that the billion people get on and whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. But anyway, um, you know, I tried to look into how many people have actually made at least some effort to migrate to the United States. Right. So that if you just like ask people all around the world, Hey, would you like to live in the United States? Like a large number, hundreds of millions will say hundreds of millions of people would say they'd like to move to another country. And then the United States is the most popular named destination. But how many people have actually done anything to attempt to move on mm -hmm. um, that, I think is a you know neighborhood of ten to twenty million right? mm -hmm. people who either applied for a green card or applied for the diversity visa lottery. Let's grant this right to immigrate. What does that actually look like in practice? Because you're not, uh, I'm not hearing that you're necessarily arguing for completely open borders. I, I, yeah, I feel so, like those. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I th I might I may have sometimes said you know like we should have open borders. I don't mean this completely literally though. So, like, I don't mean that you have to let in terrorists or criminals or whatever. I don't mean that there should be literally nothing at the border. Um, uh, and then, you know, you might you might think, well, should there be some limit? Um, I don't know. I think that we should, at you know, at minimum, we should raise the limit because we only we only let in something like a million people a year. Okay, a million sounds like a lot, but in three hundred million, you know, with three hundred million current residents, a million is not that much, right? It's it's a pretty low level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we could just drastically increase that and then, you know, and then, and then see if any problem happens, right? Which I anticipate would not happen. I you know, we could keep increasing it if there's no problems happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, uh, like many of these other complex issues, it's, it's a mixture of like value claims and empirical claims, right? So I, I feel like the worries that skeptics are going to have is that these, you know, illegal immigrants, they're bringing crime, they're bringing drugs, you know, kind of like the, 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 the fears of, of having at least looser immigration control, right? But perhaps a rebuttal to that is like, well, that's just not true. That's an exaggeration. Most immigrants are not criminals and drug dealers and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, what, what I've read is that the crime rates are lower among immigrants um, than among the native population. So if that's like, if that would be a reason for expelling the immigrants or keeping them out, it would be a reason for expelling native born citizens. <laughs> we should push them out. Um, okay. But, um, and the, the reason for this is that they're afraid of being deported. So I, yeah. I think that's the reason. So yeah, we could say, yeah, no, you can come in as long as you're not committing any crimes. If you commit a crime and then you go out mm -hmm. and then it will probably reduce the crime rate. Um, okay. about the drugs, you know, like I have a solution to drugs. I mean, this is like a separate, uh, this, this is another discussion, but my solution is, uh, legalized. Yeah. Okay. Then there will be no, no like there will be no drug cartels the day yeah. after it's legal, <laughs> right? And the organized crime will lose like 90% of their funding. So in regards to, again, like this 
perhaps the special obligations that a, a government has towards its people. Is there an analogy to be made to private property? Like the U.S. in a sense is, you know, a person's house, right? And yes. since a person's house, a person can decide who they let in to their own house, the U.S. government can decide who to let in to the country. Yeah, I mean, that would be true if the U.S. government owned the country, right? And if the country was literally the government's house. But, you know, how could they own the country? Like they didn't, they didn't make it, right? They're just, they're just a bunch of people who like, you know, have, have power because yeah. they have all the men with guns on their side. Okay. They don't own everything. Actually, the territory, like it, it's owned by individual people. It's mostly owned by private individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like, I don't know. And, you know, maybe some areas are owned by the government. Okay. But anyway, like most of it is owned by private individuals. So if you believe in property rights, you should believe that private individuals have the right to invite people onto their property. Right. Yeah. There are like there are many landlords who would like to rent out apartments to immigrants. And there are many employers who would like to bring in immigrant workers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and like it should be an exercise of their property right that they can have those people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see the point. I wonder if there is some other level of private property that isn't identical to like a, a, a house order and, and their house like some sort of political private property that's on like a, 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 on a separate level, perhaps not as uh, strict as private property as we normally know it. You know, like, so for instance, let's, uh, perhaps we can think about like a smaller community. Let's just think about like a village or something, you know, or just like a, a group of like a hundred people, right? And they just happen to live together, right? And I don't own anyone else's property, but collectively we own this larger piece of land, right? And we all live in this larger piece of land. Could you say that, well, we collectively have the right not to allow anyone else to move it? Um, I mean, it's kind of depends on how awesome, like how you claim to own the this land, right? So, you know, like um, if a bunch of landowners get together and like they all agree to join some organization, and then and they agree on the decision-making procedures for that organization, then that organization, okay, so like you joined a homeowner's association, right? That mm -hmm. can happen, right? And and they followed the procedures that everyone agreed on for them to follow in deciding um, no Mexicans are allowed, right? Then I think that they could, you know, they could legitimately keep the Mexicans out, right? But that isn't the situation with the United States, right? Um, if you don't like immigrants, in my view, it's fine to not have them on your property. <laughs> and it's it's fine in my view. It's fine to not hire immigrants if you don't want to hire immigrants, and like it's fine to not rent housing to them, right? Mm -hmm. Although that mm -hmm. you know you might be violating discrimination law, but anyway, like in my view, you're not violating anyone's rights. But that doesn't mean that you could stop other people who do want to, to interact with the immigrants from doing so, right? Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, it's more like there's this village, and like there's one homeowner who wants to have a Mexican over to their house. And then there's a neighbor who doesn't want that person to have the Mexican to their own house, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm trying. It's 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 <laughs> because I, I don't share the position of these like hardcore conservatives. It's hard for me to kind of steel man their positions. Um, yeah. what, what do you think would have to be true in order for your argument to be wrong? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I thought... It seems quite obvious, right? Like the the way that you're presenting it, I mean, the argument is is elegant because it's so simple. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like you know, maybe like if um, if really the majority of the immigrants were criminals and like they were just coming to cause harm, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like uh, one one argument that people make is you know um, following the the point about property rights. 
they say, well, um, there's some amount of public property which immigrants are going to use. So they're going to have to use the roads and they're going to use public services. And like, if there's crime, um, like they can call the police. And so like, so they're going to use some public property. It's not just private property. And so then you might think, well, the community as a whole has the right to decide how the public property is going to be used. And if they don't want it to be used on these people from Mexico or whatever, Latin America, then um, they could just vote, right? To not, to not have, and the only way to stop those people from using the public services is to stop them from being in the country entirely, mm-hmm. right? You might think that. Um, is it, yeah, but the, but then the re, isn't the rebuttal, well, if you, if you look at the data, uh, immigrants actually contribute more overall to the economy. Oh yeah, the, uh, I think there's some debate about this. Um, well, so there, I think there are um, an overall economic benefit. So uh, it's widely agreed among economists that uh, immigrants benefit the economy overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they they also have a. I think they're a net drain on state budgets. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is mostly the progressive tax structure. So they tend to be low income, which means they have a lower tax rate. And uh, it's true about low-income people in general that they're a net drain mm-hmm. on fiscal resources. Okay, now I would say, well, if that's the reason for kicking out the immigrants, that's the reason for kicking out the poor people too, because <laughs> they're doing exactly mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't put much weight on the fact that a person's a citizen. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it's just like the fact that the person's a citizen just means that the government decided. The government just said. You know, we're going to give this whatever. We're going to give this person the right to vote or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that you know that like that doesn't give you extra rights unless there's some basis for why you should have extra rights. Right? There has to be a basis for having extra rights, other than the government just saying that you have extra rights. Yeah, there's got to be some sort of moral justification. Perhaps we can make another distinction between illegal immigration and like legal immigration, right? So I hear from some conservatives, I don't really have a problem with immigrants, right? As long as they're legal, yeah. right? What is your reaction and response to that statement? Uh, Great, we're on the same page. So we can both, we can solve the problem of illegal immigration by legalizing immigration, right? (laughs) Your only problem is you don't want people to migrate illegally, then just make it legal. And then then you're saying the same thing as me, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I so then the response is we'll just increase the number of you know visas and green cards that you that you hand out every year. Yeah, right. That's the only reason they're coming illegally. It's because they're not allowed to come legally. So, so like, of course, everyone would be everyone would prefer to be legal. They don't, you know, they don't want to have to constantly be looking over their shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. for ICE coming after them. You know, there's like a ten year waiting list or something ridiculous like that, or you know, you may you. Know, may never be if you're if you're from latin america you'll just never be allowed in yeah yeah no it's definitely not not an easy process as, as far as i know do you think then that the concern is that we can't vet these immigrants uh i mean maybe but it's like well, i mean why why do we have um this extra level of suspicion you know like where we have to vet them but we don't have to vet native-born people right because I, you know, we, people in the United States have children, and then those children grow up, like they could be criminals. You know, why do we, why don't we have to vet them before letting them become citizens? And you know, mm-hmm. and why don't we get to like kick them out if we don't like them? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. okay. you know, I want to say like like where you happen to be born is morally arbitrary. Yes. It wasn't up to you, because like you were a fetus at the time, <laughs> so like. It was just, it's just a matter of chance that you happen to be born in one geographical location or another. 
Yeah, yeah. I was about to get to that because it does because the way that you're arguing for your position, it just doesn't really seem to matter if you know this person just happens to be an American citizen, this other person just happens to be immigrant. Those are just totally not under a person's control because it's just largely depends on where you were born. And since there is no moral justification uh, to, I guess. Necessi that necessarily follows from that, that different people born in different places should be treated differently, then the initial assumption is that people should be treated equally. It's kind of like we shouldn't treat people as American citizens or like Mexican citizens. We should just treat people as human beings on this planet. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, basically, well, there should, if you're treating some people much better than others, there should be some reason. <laughs> there should be some relevant difference between the two people. Right. And then in this case, the difference is well, like one of them just happened to be born in a different location. But that really doesn't seem like a very good reason. Right? <laughs> it's not like, you know, being born in a different location doesn't make you like a better person or, or more important, doesn't make your interests matter more. So I don't see why that should give you extra rights. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is legitimate for the government to do then in regards to immigration control? Oh, um, um, I mean, you know, like, like what restrictions are permissible, like, well, I think they can keep somebody out if they have evidence that that person is a criminal, mm -hmm. right? Or you know, they could kick out people after they committed a crime. Um, uh, so you know, and then some some people are like so. There's this worry that we talked about that um, people think the whole country will be destroyed if we have too many immigrants. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you think that's true, then uh, the government it would be justified in limiting the amount of immigration so that it's below the level that would destroy the country or whatever. After I say, oh well, like you know, you don't have to give them citizenship and the right to vote, and then people say, yeah, but their children will have citizenship under the constitution if they were born here. So, and then they'll vote, and then they will tend to vote Democrat because you know, just like. Um, Hispanic people tend to vote Democrat. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. But, you know, a couple of suggestions, like, number one, like, well, maybe one of the reasons why Hispanic people tend to vote Democrat is that the Democrats are more friendly to immigration. <laughs> and yeah. like, maybe if the Republicans were more pro-immigration, then there would be more Republicans, you know, more Republican Hispanic people. Um, uh, yeah, it does vary depending on the particular um, Hispanic group. So, you know, like Cubans are um, largely Republican. So... And then, you know, it might vary um, with different, just different parts of the world, right? So I'm, you know, I'm not really, yeah, I'm not sure how the um, political orientation goes with immigrants from different countries. Um, but anyway, oh, okay. So like another thing, so you think, oh, well, like if, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are about evenly balanced, like most um, major elections are pretty close. Like the presidential elections turn on a few percentage points of the vote, which means that if, like millions of new Democratic voters come in, then the Democrats are going to always win, <laughs> you might think. Mm -hmm. right? so then like that will, that will radically change the country. But I don't think that's true because um, I don't think it could be a coincidence that the, Demo the Democrats and the Republicans have been about evenly balanced for like going back whatever, many decades. So I don't think that that could be a coincidence. And, I, and like there have been demographic changes over that time and yet they continue to be evenly balanced. So I, I think the reason is that um, the two parties adjust their positions to maintain the balance. Mm -hmm. right? That is, um, if you get to a situation where a significant majority of, of voters are Democratic, then the Republicans are going to shift their positions to get, to be in the middle of the political spectrum. Like the both parties just shift to be about in the middle of the political spectrum with the Democrats slightly to the left of the middle and the Republicans slightly to the right of the middle. They just 
They just do that because each of them wants to get about half of the votes. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting less than half the votes, then you just change your position so that you get. Okay. So like, I don't think it would cause as radical of a shift, but that this explanation does imply that, well, there would be a slight shift. Like maybe the Republicans have to move slightly to the left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to go back to this concept of um, any type of special responsibility that the government has towards its citizens. So if you if you were, uh, and I agree with you, right? And like where you're born is totally arbitrary. It's just the luck of a draw. And through that, some people are lucky and some people are unlucky. But does that necessarily mean that there isn't that special responsibility though? Because, so the government is kind of like your parents and they and your parents have a special responsibility to take care of you that other people don't right yeah and that's nothing to do with you in particular because you didn't do anything to earn that right you just happened to be born to this you know particular couple and you just happen to be born in this particular country but that doesn't but that doesn't mean that they don't have a special obligation to, to care for you right yeah that's true all right so like if you if you are born to rich parents then you're lucky but the rich parents still have obligations to you that they don't have to other people like you know like they don't have obligations to the poor kids, um, whatever down the street, even though it was just a matter of luck, um, right? That's true. But having special obligations to someone again doesn't mean that you get to hurt other people in order to benefit um, the people you have obligations to. So, right? So, like the the rich parents or, or whatever, like you know, if you have kids, you have special duties to your kids. That doesn't mean that you can take money away from some other kid that isn't yours to give it to your kid, right? <laughs> so in general, you can't do something that would otherwise be a rights violation merely because it benefits the person that you have special duties to, right? So like, if it's true, as I argued, that um, immigration restrictions are a prima facie rights violation, then they wouldn't be justified, even if you have special obligations to the native-born citizens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think then it will depend on what the, like, like the, like the facts are, right? Because if you, if you actually thought that, you know, allowing the other person in would, you know, harm your kids or something like that, then I guess it would be a stronger reason to not let them in. I remember when I was in high school, I, I was taking this civics class, and the prof- uh, the, prof- the teacher was quite conservative, and he was um he was like part of the city council, and he talked he was talking about immigration one day, and he made the analogy to like a lifeboat, right? And then the field's like, yeah. well, you can't let too many people on the lifeboat, or else like everyone's going to drown, right? Yeah. So I guess like if you, if you saw it from that perspective, right, which is an empirical assumption, right, and maybe a false one, but that's an empirical assumption that I think they're making that you just yeah. can't. Uh, you can't honor this right. Like it ha- there has to be some um, restrictions and probably significant restrictions to prevent that from yeah, happening. Stop everyone from dying. Yeah, you know, I mean this is like the analogy that Garrett Hardin gives, right? <laughs> um, so, but um, I mean, it seems to suggest that there's um, a pretty strict limit to how many people can live in the country. Mm-hmm. And I would just say, well, we're nowhere close to the limit. Like there is, there is a limit on how many people can be in some geographical area. That's mm-hmm. true, but we're nowhere mm-hmm. close to the limit. Like um, our population density is a fraction of China's population density. Mm-hmm. And like so, like you could you could fit like five times more people in the country. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like yeah, there's all this land where no, you know, nobody lives, or like really low population density. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So then, uh, it, the the analogy then is a weak one, simply because it's so exaggerated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's like there is a possible situation in which we would have that. Like, you know, like there there are people who are packed together, and if more people come in, they're going to have to stand on top of other people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I think. Yeah. yeah I, I think maybe like the strongest version of the analogy is not necessarily physical space. It refers to 
like other types of resources as well, right? So yeah, yeah. while the, you can't fit more people in, it's just m maybe for some reason, some empirical assumption that they're making is that there is just simply too many people and we can't have so many yeah. people in, right? And so, yeah, yeah. It, so I do have this obligation maybe to care for my kids. And so in that case, I can kind of push the other person from like climbing onto the lifeboat. So in that sense, I am harming that person. Yeah, yeah. So... Oh. Yeah, so maybe it's not about the land. It's not about just having physical space. It's some other resources, okay? Yeah. And I think this stems from people just having a completely wrong view of how the economy works. And that, you know, the the view that, well, what drives the economy is natural resources, and there's just a fixed amount of it. And then, so like, you just have to divide up the pre-existing resources among however many people are there. So if there's more people, then there's less resources for everyone. And that's just completely wrong, right? So, you know, economic resources, mostly the things of value are produced by people. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, as the population has drastically expanded over the past 200 years, we didn't all become poor. Actually, we all became richer. Like, at the same time, the population is drastically expanding, right? We didn't run out of stuff because we are where the stuff comes from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. More people means more productivity because the people do productive work. And they, they do productive work that supports the amount that they're consuming. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so then what it seems like to me then is that they're really, or at least you have encountered a convincing argument to show why people don't have that right that doesn't also rely on false empirical assumptions. Yeah. Right? So if you accept all the facts, right, that may overall immigrants benefit, you know, America economically, right, they, uh, they commit fewer crimes, Right, like just basically all these like positive social and and, and economic out outcomes from that, then there really isn't a reason to restrict it in the way that we do. Like there's there's not really a, a moral argument to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like some some of the um, factual assumptions are correct. So like, oh well, immigrants will cause changes in the culture. I'm sure that's no, true. That's true. Right? Yeah, so that's always been true. Um, I think there is some. Um, slight disadvantage to particular classes of workers. Like that's probably factually true. Um, but you know, but then I just think that they're not good enough reasons to harmfully coerce people. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was like, probably true that there would be like a shift to the left in American politics. Yeah. But I, you know, and by the way, though, since, you know, like, as I say, we would, we would only be talking about the children and the grandchildren of the immigrants. Okay. And so like, and after some number of generations, they're going to be just like the rest of the population. So like, yeah, yeah. really I mean, like what we're talking about is like a generation later, there's going to be a slight shift to the left in American politics. Yeah, yeah. I um I remember um learning about kind of like the immigration issues like in Germany, right? So like the largest immigration group was or the Turks there, and I think people were worried that there would just be this like huge communities of of Turkish people that didn't assimilate because they were so. Um, isolated from the rest of the society, right? And so they, to the point where like their German wasn't even that good. So there was a fear that there would just literally be language barriers between these two communities. And I, I remember thinking to myself, uh, in regards to my own personal experience, I grew up in, in Los Angeles, which is extremely diverse, right? And if I just look at my particular street that I grew up on, we had a bunch of different people with different backgrounds. And we all had to, I mean, like we, we spoke English to each other, right? And it's just, it's just naturally what happened. Like all the kids speak English to each other. I mean, like we, there would be no other way for us to communicate with each other, but it's, it's slightly different because it's so mixed, right? I can imagine that if you had like an entire city of just Turkish people, right? 
and the, uh, Turkish would just be the dominant language in that city. And then you can imagine like some of the kids, like their their language, their you know their German, you know, it's not going to be that good because it just be Turkish everywhere that they go, right? So in a sense, like I felt like that worry was not necessarily a problem of immigration, but perhaps like the way that you integrate people into society. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, having a whole city of Turkish people is not likely, but um, you could have neighborhoods that have, mm-hmm. like, are dominated by a particular ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, which I believe is the case in the United States. Like I think mm-hmm. there are some neighborhoods that are just dominated by Spanish speaking people. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not really sure what the big problem is with that. I don't know. So what? <laughs> like, what? You know, one time I read this kind of satirical piece with um, some some Mexican writer complaining about gringos moving to Mexico. And like, they complain that these these Americans are retiring in Mexico and like they're continuing to eat hamburgers and whatever, like American food. Like they're continuing to speak English to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they're forming these communities of Americans. And then, you know, and when you read it, you think like, yeah, so what? Mm-hmm. So what's their problem? <laughs> like, they're not, mm-hmm. not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. One of the responses when people raise alleged problems that will occur is, um, well, okay, so we should just do the minimum restriction necessary to prevent that problem. Right. But uh, current U.S. immigration policy is not like that. It's not defensible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there, there's like, you know, there's just like blanket restrictions on almost everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're worried about um, too many migrants from a particular culture, right? Because you might think, like, um, may, you know, maybe it's a problem with if it's just a whole bunch of people from one country. Yeah. Like, maybe that changes the culture. Oh, okay. Well, then you should just restrict the people, just restrict the migration from the country with the highest rate. But you don't need to restrict all these other countries, right? I think once you kind of break down this idea that there is something special, morally special, about what it means to be a citizen and the special relationship that you have to the government and vice versa. I think that that your argument becomes much more appealing, I think, and much more intuitive. I think what's holding on for a lot of people is this sense that there is something special about a country, that it may not be exactly comparable to a house, you know, but it's something more like it. Yeah, I guess like I, you know, I always had a hard time seeing what was special about countries or, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I, so I'm supposed to feel an attachment to like 300 million other people that I've never met. Yeah. And I, like, and then that means that, you know, we get to do things that would otherwise be violations of people's rights. Yeah. Because what? Because we're under the same government. Um, you know, that always seemed odd to me. And like, um, you know, like people, people refer to their obligations to the community, but you know, the United States is definitely not my community, right? It's like, yeah, like I've never met uh, almost any of them, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if I have a community, it would be like right my neighborhood, right where I live. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, uh, I mean, I think my homeowners association, like, you know, we have a we have an HOA. I think they could decide on policies. Like, I think it would be morally legitimate for them to decide like, oh, well, we're not going to allow pe- a certain kind of people to buy into our complex, okay? would be illegal though under current law right? <laughs> but, um, I don't think it would be unjust mm-hmm. right but you know like there just isn't that kind of thing with the entire rest of the country yeah you know? the uh, I don't know if you met read much about Switzerland I think it was Switzerland or some other small European country um, and I don't know if this is the case now but at least when I was reading about it they had quite strict like citizenship requirements I think like the local community had to vote on whether or not you could be a citizen mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Or something like that. Right. So in a sense, it's like not, would it be like an HOA? Would it be something, you know, larger perhaps than, than an HOA? 
and it's like directly tied to like your political your political rights. Um, and it is like when I, when I first encountered that, I was like, well, I mean, that sounds extremely discriminatory, right? Because you can imagine people who are xenophobic or whatever Islamophobic, basically just like, oh, we don't want Muslims here, right? And so we're just not going to allow Muslims to move in and be, or become citizens or whatever it is. So I can uh, understand and uh, see abuses of that type of power. But at the same time, I can I can also understand it's like, well, I mean, they are living in a community and like kind of like they, they have like the special bond with each other and they're already there, like kind of like they're there first, right? And they've established this community. And it seems that they, they, they should have at least some say in regards to what that community looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we should distinguish between the things that, I don't know, that... Like, you know, is it, assuming that government is legitimate, right? You should distinguish between the things that they can legitimately control and the things that they can't. Like, okay, so like, you know, this group of people who, I don't know, they, they own whatever, they're, they're in a neighborhood or maybe they're the entire country. They get to vote on some things and like, well, if they have a government, I guess they could vote on like the procedures for the government and maybe they are, maybe it's legitimate for them to vote on who gets to vote. Mm -hmm. and, and you know this could be this could apply to immigrants but you know also other things like uh well what should the voting age be like the people who are currently allowed to vote they could vote to change the voting age whatever okay so like that seems legitimate because it's sort of like the political association that they're in creates those rights in the first place like there's no right to vote without the government in the first place mm -hmm. right but, but i don't think it's legitimate for them to um you know just like restrict the pre-existing rights of people so like, well, like if I, if I own property independent of the government, um, I don't think that people forming a government could then like decide that I'm not allowed to use my property in ways that would otherwise be okay. Like they don't, they're not, they don't just get an unlimited right, you know, just because you have a community, right? It doesn't mean that you have an unlimited right to just like interfere with the individual members' lives. And so, um, and so like, I can't, um, I can't figure out what rationale lets you restrict migration but doesn't let you just restrict virtually everything else mm. right and so like the people who say this that oh well like, yeah we could just vote that we don't want any people coming in even though there are some members who want those people coming in we can just vote that they're not allowed to let mm -hmm. people in on, even onto their own property if you say that i don't see why you can't just like vote that they're not allowed to do just anything like that they're not allowed to criticize the government or you know why can't we vote that uh, like black people aren't allowed to vote anymore or whatever mm-hmm Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, I, I think it's a good time to wrap things up. Um, so I want to quickly summarize the discussion so far, right? So the main argument is that people have a prima facie right not to be coercively harmed and that uh, immigration restrictions coercively harm people, right? Right. The, uh, the, in regards to the empirical claims, it seems that overall there are economic advantages to having immigrants versus not having immigrants, right? So the fear that it's going to lead to some sort of economic disaster that seems to be uh, unjustified, right? When it comes to the social aspects of it, well, that also seems to be unjustified as well because people do tend to assimilate over time. And even if there were that concern, we could just uh, restrict the minimum amount of immigrants necessary to kind of preserve maybe some sort of national identity or some sort of cultural cohesion, right? Yep. yep. In regards to the special obligations that the government has to the citizen, um, there, there might be, and, and, and if there are, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the right to prevent people from coming into the country. It doesn't give them the right to coercively harm uh, non-Americans. Right, yeah. Okay. That's a good summary. All right. Well, that was good. That was, that was really interesting. I'm sure that people have strong feelings about this 
about this argument, which which I I find very attractive. Like I I like um, controversial positions like this. I'm sure some people will be outraged. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, how can people find you on the internet? Oh, uh, I have a blog called Fake News on Substack. It's f a k e n o u s dot substack dot com, and uh, I have a website which is um, o w l two three two dot net. Okay, awesome. I- I'm going to include uh, those links into the description. Yeah. Well, thank you great. so much for uh, joining me today. It was a fascinating discussion. You're welcome. Uh, it's been great talking to you.